why do we have such a hard time loving ourselves? I think this is a question that I've been really asking myself over and over again during this past season. Maybe it's because I'm becoming just a little bit more self-aware or because I'm asking myself these questions about what I truly want out of my life now that things have changed so drastically in the world. But I've also known that I've been bumping up against this one particular thing, and it's trying to extend compassion to the parts of me that I haven't really particularly liked over the years. Maybe the parts of me that I've hidden away, the the parts of me that just don't feel as perfect and shiny as the ones that I want to put out into the world. Maybe you feel the exact same way. On one hand, you might want to extend love and grace and compassion to that part of yourself. But on the other hand, you feel very attached to the old stories you've been living out. Learn to quiet our minds and get out of our thinking minds. Our hearts open up and we get a chance to see things a little differently. We get a chance to have have a more holistic or more um, um, loving point of view. And that loving point of view is is is, is, is change, it changes everything. It changes your relationship, as I said, but not just with yourself, but it changes your relationship with everybody you, you're in contact with, too. My guest today is Edward Miller, and he is the founder of Soul Transync, the author of Overcoming and Embracing Soul Power. I'm going to tell you right off the bat that this episode is just one of the best episodes I think I've ever recorded. I was thinking about our conversation for days. I don't always say that about a particular episode, but honestly, I am so thankful that I had an opportunity to meet Edward and to hear about his journey, but also to learn from him. And I think that if you are someone who really wants to embrace this concept of self-love and a self-acceptance, which I really do believe is one of the keys to being brave, to having courage in your life, to taking those steps to really fulfill your purpose. Then I really suggest that you take the time out today to really get engaged in this conversation. We're going to be talking about how you can eliminate suffering, how you can begin to accept yourself and have compassion for yourself, why you may even feel resistant to change, especially if it's something that you've been holding on to for a long time. Edward is going to share with us this beautiful mantra, and it's based on the Ho'oponopono forgiveness practice, which is just literally so amazing. And I'm, I'm so excited for you to hear it. It's changed his life and has become one of the mainstays in his coaching practice. So let's get to it. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week we'll share coaching conversations and stories of women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. Hello, friends. Welcome to The Courage Cast. I'm so thankful that you're here today. My name is Andrea Crisp. And you know what? Sometimes there are just certain episodes that really light us up, and this is one of them, and I'm so excited to share it with you. And before we get into it, I just want to say that I am so grateful to do this journey with you. If this is your very first time listening to the podcast, I hope that we can connect, whether it's on social media or even if you're just hanging out and you want to 
post a comment um, on our Apple podcast and leave a rating and review. I would love to read it. I would love to respond to you and just to say a huge thank you for that. I just want to talk a little bit about my guest today before we get right into the conversation. Edward Miller is literally a dynamo. Like I just absolutely love this guy. He has an extensive knowledge and experience with meditative practices. And during this conversation, we're going to talk about non-duality, which I really didn't know about. So he had to explain that to me. So if you don't know, you're going to find out. And the knowledge that he uses in his practice has been the foundational development of the transformative soul transcendence practice, which he has founded. So over his 25-year spiritual journey, he's gained wisdom and training to help just really help others realize their meditative skills so that they can have results within their own lives. And so I am just really, really excited for you to meet Edward Miller. Edward, thank you for being on the Courage Cast today. I'm really excited to chat with you about all of the work that you do. And you are really into meditation, which I have just more recently started to do. So I feel like I just want to pick your brain and ask you all sorts of questions about your journey. So welcome to the show today. Thank you very much. I'm so pleased to be with you today. Now, I am, I'm just really curious right from the get-go. I always like people to talk about themselves and introduce themselves and what they're passionate about and who are the people that they serve. So can you kind of give us like, what are you passionate about and who are the people that you like? To you know, I'm, I'm, I've always been very passionate, even since I was a teenager, about seeing people become empowered, seeing people... Um, take on themselves in a greater way, see themselves larger than what they are, because most people are are selling themselves short in most areas. I mean, I've done that too most of my life. I was busy, you know, um, trying to figure out how to fit in, how to be appropriate, how to be enough. Uh, I was very stuck in a lot of my feelings of inadequacy. So I lived below my consciousness, scared. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm being aware of right now is that people have got to be bold now with themselves. They've got to be compassionate about themselves. And so my um, coaching practice is all about uh, allowing people to see their woundedness and and allow themselves to to grow themselves up through self-awareness, be more compassionate, be more um, loving, be even more forgiving to themselves so that they can be more ready for the big things that life has for them. Now, what kind of led you on the journey that you're on today? How did that get started for you? That's an interesting question. I grew up um, of four children, the one that was that I perceived as most awkward. You know, I was overweight. I was um, I had a reading disorder. So I um, my family who are educators and they're all very bright and all very accomplished had a son that was struggling. And all I really wanted to do was look out the window. I mean, my mind was not very much about trying to um, be academically um, um, proficient until I became a teenager. And then I, I, I think it was more of a, because I wanted to not be a, a nerd any longer, I, I started trying to improve myself academically. But before that, up into teenage years, I, was, I had an, a very low self-esteem. I was, very, I was picked on, I was bullied. And I, I think that I kind of 
retreated into myself. That was kind of my strategy to kind of uh, hide behind uh, in my imagination. I think a lot of people do that that are bullied. Um, but at some point, I realized that there was a whole world of, of opportunity out there to express yourselves and have new experiences. And I was a reader, too. So I read, you know, I tried to read books about heroes and people who conquered things and people who got over uh, bad experience. They ins that inspired me. Um, so in my early youth, I just got very excited about the idea of, of, of being a support system for others and being a, a, an ear for others. And that's kind of how I, and, and I realized I was good at it. Very young, I realized that people like to, you know, to talk to me. Mm -hmm. And people enjoyed um, my point of view, which was interesting because I was just a kid <laughs> and I didn't have much point of view, but I was, <laughs> I had no shame giving it out to anybody. Yeah. So that's kind of how I, I got intrigued with the whole idea of, of empowering and teaching people that you can go beyond your mind and have experiences that are just all kinds of adventures and, and all kinds of, of, of um, you know, opportunities that can open up to you. Now, you sounded like you were pretty self-aware even back as a child, but did you know that no. you were self-aware or how no. did you get to that point where you started realizing what is self-awareness to you? Well, I, that's just in the last 15 years. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, you know, early on, I got into meditation because I felt like, um, you know, I was struggling with a lot of inadequacy issues because I was this fat kid uh, that was struggled academically. And I was listed as a, you know, you know, academically challenged and, and I was bullied and picked on. So there was part of me that, that, that felt that I was wounded you know, that I was, you know, tentative and wounded and I had to over um, react. I had to be, I had to pretend to be braver than I was. Mm -hmm. So a lot, so I got into pretending very early. I mean, in my late teens, I got into pretending I was um, confident and pretending that I was, I knew what I was talking about and pretending that I was feeling um, that I was, you know, uh, substantive, but generally my feelings were that I was faking and that I was um, just not being enough. And so I had to find some tools to, to deal with all that mind chatter going on. You know, I was pretending to be all that. I was pretending to be like I knew what I was talking about. But inside, I was like, oh, these people are going to find out who I am. They're going to realize I'm just an imposter. Um, so I started looking for um, techniques. I started reading books about empowerment. But very early, I started meditating because I was understood meditation as a way to find peace and self-awareness. Mm -hmm. um, and I started with transcendental meditation. And this is early on. This is in the early 80s. And transcendental meditation is wonderful. It's very rigid. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't allow a lot of flexibility, which I love in meditation. Now I've adopted a lot of new meditation techniques that I think allowed me to um, grow in different ways. But the, the early years of just using transcendental meditation did give me peace. You know, when I was stuck in my worrying, fearful, um, inadequate mind, it would center me a bit and allow me to feel more empowered. Mm -hmm. 
But what was interesting is that I, even though I had all these feelings of inadequacy and feelings of, of, of not enoughness, I wanted to live a life that was very brave and, and, and courageous and, and take on challenges and, and appear as though I'm a hero. You know, in my imagination, I wanted to be a hero in my imagination. So I, I, I took on early this concept of fake it till you make it. Right. I really was a real proponent of. Yeah. Because um, it faking it allows you to, at some level, start to believe what you're faking. So if I believe, so if I was feeling, un, if I was taking on a new challenge, I was starting a new, taking on an, anything new, I would feel very afraid and I'd feel very much like I was going to get discovered as being inadequate, but I would pretend as though I knew what I was talking about. I would do a lot of research so I'd have the right language. And um, people were starting to, they would, for some reason, people would fall into that. They would accept that in me. They would accept me as being confident and sure, but I wasn't. I was, um, you know, after uh, pretending enough, I would then want to hide out for days or weeks on end because I had to lick my wounds for all the trauma I had taken myself through in my mind. Um, so it was a lot of that back and forth in my 20s. Now, you talk and, about, you know, I'm interested because you're saying you wanted to be brave. Yes. And But you kind of had mentioned earlier there was this woundedness. So what point in time did you, like, get to an understanding of, like, how do I, how do I fix the woundedness, or how do I heal the woundedness? Did that come into play with? Yeah, what was going I did. On? It came to play very young. I believed, maybe because of what I was reading back then. I can't remember exactly what I was reading, but I was reading about heroes and how heroes got beyond their 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 inner feelings. Um, but I was very much um, interested in 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 having a different kind of life and inspiring people in a different kind of way. And I realized that the faking was working. You know, I was out there trying to pretend to be somebody and made some interesting choices, but no matter what I accomplished, no matter what I successes I had, they were never enough. I always depreciated them okay. uh, and was never able to give myself any positive um, um, feedback about my abilities or my uh knowledge or anything because I was always depreciating. It's like, oh, I really don't know what I'm talking about. And I really don't, you know, I'm really not uh, articulate or I'm really not very smart. That was my big thing. I believed I was not very smart. Right. So I, I, I constantly was um, going out into the world, trying to become something, trying to have an experience. But then that, that, that self-talk was always knocking me right back down and making me um, feeling overwhelmed. So once I was overwhelmed, I would go back into isolation. So I'd always kind of heal in my isolation. I would go to some place where I would just be left alone and I would disappear into books or music. And that would kind of give me a chance to regenerate a bit. And then I'd come back out again and try to, you know, be brave and and be courageous. So it's that, that was a that was my 20s and 30s, mm -hmm. just, you know, trying to be something and failing at it, personally feeling I had failed at it, and then trying to go out there again and be that again. It was a yo-yoing life that had a, a lot of pain associated with it. And I, I realized very early that the pain that I was going through in my mind was bearing, I was bearing it in my body. Mm -hmm. You know, I was always sore and achy. And, and um, by the time I got to my mid-40s, I had, my whole body was, was, 
was had arthritis and and it was aching all the time. And I knew that that my mind was causing much of the um, the resistance that I was having in my body too, but I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know what to do about it. And I had seen therapists and psychologists and life coaches and, and, and none of them seemed to um, uh, change my self-esteem, improve my self-esteem. They would put you know masks on it for a moment, uh, but it wouldn't really change um, the way I saw myself inside. You know, it's interesting as you're saying that, I'm like, you're describing what I feel like I've gone through up until about maybe five years ago. Yeah. Like, and I've never really been able to put words very succinctly to, but the yo-yo, as soon as you were saying it was like, I would do the same thing. I would retreat to re-energize and feeling because I'm definitely an empath. So feeling like any energy, but I didn't realize that. So I would have to retreat and then I would get out there and do it and do it and do it and do it. And then be yanked back into solitude because I would be so depleted. Now, I want to know what was like the thing that broke through for you in in the sense of like, because I've been on this personal journey myself of healing wounds and of kind of going through that um, releasing things in my body, which again is a new thing uh, as of the past five years for me as well. So, and it all kind of culminated for me when I realized that I had been suffering with anxiety and depression and Mm. I would admit it. Yes. And until that point, I just wanted to th- to say that I was like, oh, you know, well, you know, I just struggle with things or I have negative thoughts or whatever. But I started to realize that there were so many things. And now looking back, I'm wondering, would I have struggled with the anxiety and depression had I been able to actually heal the wounds a lot earlier? I hear you. I hear you. And so um, it's been, you know, also unpacking the mental health um, you know, and, and, and does that, you know, which comes the cart before the horse yes. <laughs> type of thing. And so I'm, I'm curious for you, what was that moment well, or, or what happened that's, there? That's an, that's an interesting question. In, in my late forties, um, I had gotten to the point where my life had gotten out of my control. Mm-hmm. I had built a business and I had actually built one of the largest black businesses in Florida. I had 176 employees and I had 1,100 students in my schools that I had created. um, And my body was contracting every day more and more and more to the point where I got to the point where I couldn't walk anymore. And my wife had to wheel me around in a wheelchair because I was in such pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, when you're in a lot of pain like that, you get to the point where you start, your mind shrinks too, because you start to imagine, what do I need to do? I've got to go to the store. So in order to go to the store, I have to withstand so much pain and take so much medicine. And, and I've got to make it so that I can get to the door easily because I don't know, because the pain is going to be so overwhelming. And that went on for a while. And then I said, well, let me, let me find a solution for that. So I was looking for solutions. I had every kind of injection, every kind of medical treatment you can imagine, any kind of imagined uh, healing technique I, for, for the body I took on because I said, you know, this is the problem with my body. This isn't a problem with my mind. So I went and had back surgery. <laughs> back surgery. 
<laughs> and that was the biggest mistake because okay. I uh, had, a doctor convinced me to um, to that what he could do for me if he just cleaned out my vertebrae with all the arthritis that was bearing in my in my body that I would be you know I'd be much better and I'd be going back to running and feeling strong again. Well, I had the back surgery and I had what happened. Uh, to people called failed back surgery. And failed back surgery is when you have a lot of scar tissue that's now developed after the surgeon cuts you open. Mm. So I was in actually worse shape after the surgery than I was before the surgery. So I just contracted completely. I got to the point where I, you know, as I said, I couldn't walk. All I could do is walk the pool. The pool, you know, makes you zero gravity kind of. So I was walking the pool, but that's when... I started exploring some, and that was kind of my dark night too, mm -hmm. because I, I didn't, you know, my life was demonstrating uh, with the pain in my body and with my, the, the overwhelmed state I was in my business that I was over my head and I didn't know any way out. I had no way out with all the pressure and, and all the pain I was in. I needed a break and I broke. I broke to the extent that I wanted, I gave up everything. I retired from my businesses. I um, sold all my real estate holdings and my schools and stuff. And I decided I was going to just decompose, just kind of break down. Mm -hmm. And I did. And I took about nine months sitting on my patio, um, smoking cigarettes and looking out at the water, trying to figure out what was I going to, what, you know, what was going on? Why was, you know, where is it? Is there a path for me? Is there an opportunity for me to ever be happy again? Am I going to just have to sit and continue to pretend to be okay when I'm clearly not okay? And that's when I just started, you know, and I had been a student of a whole lot of spiritual practices, you know, because I was looking for solutions. Right. Around that time is when I discovered um, this practice that we can talk about, if you'd like, uh, that I call Ho'oponopono. Ho'oponopono is the tool that I started using at that time when I was um, in my dark night of the soul, when I was just totally helpless. Mm -hmm. It changed my point of view. And it was a slow drip of love back into my own heart. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, very shortly, it became my obsession and as it became my obsession, all of a sudden my body started feeling strong again. And I started uh, seeing myself differently. And as a result of that, the world transfixed also. Everything was different to me. And um, so I, I think that it was my dark night of the soul and me uh, learning about the healing practice of Ho'oponopono, the forgiveness practice of Ho'oponopono, that was my moment of, of, of um, real shift and I started seeing that, you know, I had been program programming myself with my bad self-talk for my whole lifetime. I had been programming myself with my inadequacies. I had, didn't know how to give myself any love or compassion. I was on the hook for everything. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to find, and the whole Ho'oponopono gave me some tools to totally shift that and start to relate to myself in a completely different way. And at the same time, I was learning about other non-dual uh, practices. Ho'oponopono is a non-dual practice. But I started learning about other non-dual practice. So during that transitional period, it seemed like uh, this my practice that I teach now, which is a soul transync practice, kind of was born in that space. And um, 
and I use practices that I teach now um, to heal myself mm-hmm. and to learn to relate to myself in a, in a completely different way than I had ever related to myself. So for the past 15 years, that's what it's been all about to me. You know, I'm in my mid-60s now. And I'm. You would never know that, by the way. Well, thank you. Well, I think that I think I think it has a lot to do with. I, I hear that, but I think it has a lot to do with my heart is so open now. Yeah. And I'm giving up on all the problems of the world and all the problems that my mind wants to bear, and I'm feeling free and empowered and excited about my life and excited about everybody's life. So it's. Uh, but I really do give it uh, give credit to this practice of Ho'oponopono. Um, there's lots of information about Ho'oponopono all over the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I internalized it and accepted it in a way that I don't think anybody else kind of could relate to. Um, so it, it allows me to teach it in a way that I think is most transformative to people's lives. Can you know, it's you my new us, best friend. Can you give us like a little uh, snippet of like what that is? Okay. or Ho'oponopono is something that is so simple, it's almost unbelievable. Okay. And there's lots of information that you can get about it. And it, I talk about it in my book. And there's just tremendous amount of information on the Internet about it. But it's a mantra and a philosophy. And the mantra is, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me and thank you. Again, the mantra is, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me and thank you. Uh, what makes the, the mantra so unique is that that mantra is not in... I'm not relating to anything in the world. I'm relating that mantra to to myself. I'm allowing myself to be aware of the love I have for myself. I'm uh, being really forgiving to myself for holding on to trauma and beliefs and thoughts that are not loving and clearly not in my best interest. And I'm being in gratitude, constant gratitude for all the blessings that I have in my life, plus the awareness that none of this the thinking I have is real or true anyway. You know, there is nothing that's true. So once you start to relate to yourself in this loving way, you know, the world seems to just go in your favor. Things seem to fall into place because you're no longer in contention with yourself. That's beautiful. I love that. And and let me just finish. The whole is the mantra, plus it's the philosophy. And the philosophy is... um, Take responsibility for everything. Okay. Take responsibility for everything. There's nothing out there in the world but your perceptions of life. Right. You know, there is no there is no one else. There's just you and how you perceive the world. And that uh, is a very non-dual point of view. Can you explain it's, it's the non- oneness? Yes. Yeah. Can you explain the non-dual thing for me? Okay. Yeah, non-duality, and I can give you examples of non-duality. It's a, it, it's a, it's a Hindu and Buddhist uh, point of view in that only God exists, and we are the creators. There is nothing else. Okay. And once you start to relate yourself as a creator um, and see how empowered you are just as in yourself, uh, you can, you, there is nothing else to, that, that's an obstacle in your life. There's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong. There's nothing that's uh, inadequate. There's nothing that's in resistance. Everything is an opportunity for you to learn more about yourself. 
Right. And it's the, a relationship you develop with yourself becomes the most important thing of your, um, and that's kind of how non-duality works. You know, a lot of people are intrigued with it because they're intrigued with Buddhism and they're in, intrigued with uh, this Hindu, Abhida Vedanta, but they're all kind of the same, uh, teaching the same thing about how to relate to yourself as the creator in a, in a, um, in a pure and honest way. And it's giving up on the idea that the world is real. The world is nothing more than your perceptions anyway. Okay. And as you become aware of that, and as you nurture yourself, and as you become aware that your divine energy, that you're the, um, con- your conscious awareness, uh, as you start to relate to yourself as conscious awareness, you get out of this contentious nature you have with the world. The world just seems perfect. My job is, is just to clean, is to let go of thoughts, become aware of thoughts and have no power unless I give them power by believing them. Uh, but it's mostly about just being aware that I can let go of any thought because thoughts aren't real anyway. They're just thoughts. Right. And they don't become, as I said, they don't become problematic until I start believing them. And and so oftentimes what we do is we get those thoughts and they we make them a reality. Yes. And then they become a reality. Oh, absolutely. Which is why people think thoughts are so real. That's exactly right. We manifest the thoughts, making them a and I see so often, even in my own life, where I have been in a position where you know, having thoughts for so many years have manifested where I'm at in certain points of my life and being able to let go of those. And how, like, how would you suggest for someone to release the thoughts? Is there a, a certain it's, meditative it's, practice? It's almost or? as simple as what you're saying. If Once you get into a relationship, uh, understand what non-duality is and understand mm-hmm. That thoughts are always part of the con- consciousness. They're all over the place. They're, they come, they go. They don't have any meaning. Yeah. And uh, when a thought comes up, at the moment the thought comes up, you have an opportunity just to let it go and let it sometimes just move because they're because they're all they're in consciousness. Right. If you can avoid making the thought about you or turning it or or relating to the thought from an identity standpoint. You can it can it moves immediately. Mm-hmm. It only becomes something to bear once you say that it's about me. It's something I have to deal with, or something that you know it's that's something that your personality, your um, character, has to respond to. Because none of that is all that is just more um, ego um, uh, work. You know, right. the ego is always trying to identify you as your thoughts, but it's, that's they're not. And even your ego isn't real. It's just another construct also. Mm-hmm. So when a thought comes up, I instantaneously realize, oh, there's that thought. And I let it go. And there was a time in my life where the thought came up, I thought it was my responsibility to either understand it, find reason in it, or, you know, try to assess it. For And, and once you get into that assessing, believing, understanding mode, your mind is looking for proof in the world to support the the, the thoughts oh, that are coming into your mind. That is fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So so if I understand you correctly, basically in in that with that concept, it would be you know if something happens and you have a thought, then you think, okay, well that must be real because I thought it. Now I need to understand why did I think it? Is yes. it a reason? Is yes. it intuition? Is it? And then you're trying to constantly come up with something to support that thought. Yes. 
And I'm saying that all of that is futile. Let it all go. Okay. Allow it to be a thought. Yeah. Just to, you know, it's first of all, once you stop um, relating to thoughts and trying to believe them, they're interesting. You know, you're like, oh, look at that thought. Oh, you know, they be, you're, you become entertaining. Thoughts yeah. become entertaining instead of something that you have to bear. Right. Why do you think people then never release themselves from it? I think that in our society, I think that we've been told, especially in media, we're always told that something to something that needs to be thought about or understood. Um, and we spend our lives trying to understand things and 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 figure and figure out how things are relating to us personally. That is so. True. And I think that's that that just just a bad habit. Mm-hmm. And I think that once you become self aware, you realize that that you need to be very careful about what you allow into your consciousness. And when people are telling you how what's good and what's right and how things should be and how you should be and how they should be, you should go into neutral. You should become, you know, go back into your heart, realize that it's just, you know, it's just people's mind and the mind works the way it does and everybody has one. Yeah. And I think also that has that I think it has increased my compassion because I know everybody fights thoughts. Everybody fights with their beliefs. But once you have a relationship with your mind in a way that there's nothing to cling to, there's nothing to believe in, there's nothing to understand, um, it allows you the freedom to, to connect with people in a whole new way. Because you've been there. I've, I've suffered. Mm-hmm. I've suffered in my thinking. So when I see somebody suffering in their thinking, I, could, I say, I, oh, I see where you're at. I get that. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't take it on. It's something that I need to fix or respond to or, or have understanding of. I'm just able to see that they're me too. When I see them in their mind and lost in their thinking, I can, start, I can relate to that because I've been there. Mm-hmm. But I don't have to bear it. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to digest all of this and, and process because I find this is very fascinating because I am a by nature a very curious person. And so with your explanation of this, I see myself in trying to find answers to things. And as you said, relating it back to me. We are fast approaching the end of 2020, and you may be shouting a huge hallelujah for that, but let me just say this. We still have a few more months where you can make huge strides and make massive changes in your life. And here's the thing, friend. I know that you are designed with purpose, and I know that you have things that you desire to do with your life. You may feel a little stuck, and you may feel as though there are some mental shifts that need to take place in order for you to do that. I would love to jump on a 30 minute free coaching call with you and let's chat about how you can make those changes, how you can bring into alignment all of the things that you truly desire so that you can take those steps forward. I know sometimes it feels really overwhelming. You may even feel very stuck in what you're doing right now, but you don't have to stay there. To schedule a time with me, go to andreacrisp.ca forward slash schedule. Well, you also said that you were an empath, too. Is that yes. what I heard? Yeah. Okay. I think empaths have a, an, an incredible amount of talent. And I think many empaths spend most of their lives being totally overwhelmed with all the energies and thoughts and feelings and, and the, the, that they have to 
feel and experience. Yeah. But I think the, the empaths that are most effective are the ones that are grounded in themselves. So they right. realize when those energies come up and they feel those feelings, they don't make them things that they have to deal with. They just allow themselves to experience them. And, and often they're healers because they can connect with another person in that whole, in that whole space and outside of the problem, outside right. of the construct and be compassionate and loving and understanding them. So I think empaths have it a little bit harder. <laughs> but I also think that they, um, the ones that get grounded in themselves are incredibly powerful in transforming people. This is so fascinating. Now, I, I have just kind of even a little veering off here. I have many more questions. But um, I grew up in the Christian church. And so, and for... Oh, gosh, the first 20 years of my adult life, really, I was in full-time ministry. And so, of course, that is a whole um, life I've had, yes, you know, is. raised in the church. Yes. Um, believing certain things, being taught certain things, then, of course, teaching them myself. And, you know, so there's that whole, <laughs> I was taught, then I was teaching it. Exactly. And, and then now um, being in a place of kind of learning to deconstruct some of because those I love that. That's beliefs. the right word, deconstruct your thinking. I love <laughs> yeah. it. Yes. And it's been an interesting process for me because um, just to to kind of let go and, and reconceptualize some things, not wanting to completely throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, but in the same way, learning that maybe what I learned was what other people thought versus you know, what I can experience in my own life. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, if people come to you, you know, from a more like religious Christian background, because uh, what does that look like in terms of well, let me, faith? Let me, and, that's a wonderful, wonderful question. You know, in my awakening, in my process of learning to um, be true to myself and love myself and be compassionate, forgive me to myself, I went through a period uh, years ago where I resented my Christian um, uh, background because I felt it was a whole bunch of matrix to believe in. Hmm. And I felt that it was there was a lot of judgment and a lot of... Um, contention about how things should be and how people should be and who's good and who's bad and who's right and who's wrong. And it mm -hmm. felt, when I was opening up, it felt so const constraining to me. It felt, um, it felt oppressive. Uh, but, you know, as I've evolved, I realized that it's just another construct. It's just something else people believe. Mm -hmm. and, they're, and, no, and no belief is wrong, by the way. Right. Okay. Yeah, beliefs aren't right or wrong. They're just they're just what they are. Yeah. And once you become a more um, centered in yourself, um, you can realize everybody's believing something. And and if there's nothing that's wrong, you don't have to defend anything either. I don't have to defend that I'm that I'm no longer bought into so much of those Christian ideas, and I don't have to make them wrong for them believing in and their Christian perspectives. I can just appreciate that's just their matrix. That's how they see it. I have my matrix too. Mine isn't true. It's just <laughs> mine. It allows me freedom. Right. But it doesn't, it's not true. So I'm really at a place now where I'm, I'm being very consciously aware of what I'm calling true and what I'm calling reality. 
Mm, explain that more. Well, once you, uh, you, you know, let's go back to the Christian thing. You know, Christians have a lot of stories often, and I'm not putting down Christians. Please don't, you know, no, feel that's that way. Okay. But there's a lot of stories in Christianity that uh, people will argue you to the end of earth if you want to go into an argument about, well, this is true. Well, this was well. Why was it true? Because it says so in the Bible. Because they have a reference book that 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 validates their point of view. You know, my thing. Once you get caught up in true, once you start accepting and calling things true, it's like a little prison. It's like a little containment box that you have to be in and take all the consequences that come with that construct of true. But if you can stay out of true and be open for interpretation and new ways of looking at it, and even accepting people for seeing it completely different as you and that being valid too, it opens your heart up. And what you want is you want your heart to open up. You don't want to be stuck in a bunch of constructs that are judgmental, that are making people wrong, that are, you know, say, making people them instead of you. You want to mm. be able to see people in, caught in their stories, caught in their matrixes, caught in their whatever they're, you know, they're caught in, and still be able to connect with them in, in your heart. Because that's all that really matters. Mm -hmm. Heart matters. Right. Understanding doesn't matter at all. I don't have to understand their thinking or their point of view. Yeah. I don't get anything for that, but contention anyway. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that, and I, I so appreciate how you've explained that, because, you know, in Canada right now, of course, we're going through our own things here, but looking at the U.S., the way you're explaining that is, like, it, that is exactly what's happening, you know, people using this whole mentality of true, what they believe to be true, whether it's this or that, yes, and how polarizing it has become for the country. Can you even speak to that a little bit? Well, I, I think that, they, first of all, I, I really love that question, because I do think that we're in an evolve, we're evolving now. I think we're evolving in a place where we're looking for opportunities to understand each other, to, to relate to each other, mm -hmm. to see each other as, you know, I'm you and you're me. And I think we're, we're at a place in consciousness where we can connect with anybody anywhere, and I think there are those that are really connecting with that idea. And I think there are those that are resistant to it. But I think that the numbers in consciousness that are, are opening up to see the wholeness of, of life and the wholeness of human, the human experience, uh, I think there are so many of them that are connecting with that. I think they're going to change and shift the whole world. And we're all going to be about love. We're all going to be about how we can help each other and how we can relate to each other and, and, and how we can support each other. Because that's the new age. Mm -hmm. The new age is about, is out of the, we're, we've come out of the age of reason and understanding to the new age of heart. And in this age of heart, we have to love each other. We have to find out how we can relate to each other. We have to find out how we can support each other um, across the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, the new point of view, the new thought. Yes. Okay. I have, I have to ask you this because it totally, something you said triggered me, which surprised me. And, but I have a question about it now. Okay. So when you say new age, I grew up in the Christian church, as I said, so the word or the term new age was like a very scary, stay away from the new age. Right. So as soon as, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? And so those are like the trigger phrases for me you. where it's like, Oh no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like, 
anyways, I won't go, I won't go there, but no, no, I hear you. Okay. So, but what it ends up happening for me is there's, there's a resistance, right? So something triggers. Now I have a resistance to, and you talk about resistance in your work as well. Can you uh, just even elaborate on what is that in, in well, our self-awareness? Well, res- resistance is the, is the alarm. Okay. It's the wake up call. Whenever we're feeling any resistance, it isn't, it isn't our natural state is to feel like resistance means something is wrong. Okay. We say, oh, well, I'm feeling resistance. You know, this is not what I like. This is not where I'm comfortable. This is not how I feel it should be. So then at that point, you go right into your resistance. Well, resistance is really an opportunity. It's really an opportunity to explore more of what you're holding on to, what you're believing, what you're stuck in. So I use resistance as an opportunity. I don't use it as, as an opportunity to complain about the world. I use resistance as an opportunity to explore what I'm still holding on to, what I'm still oh, bearing, okay. what I have an opportunity to let go of and clean with my Ho'oponopono mantra. Oh, so can you walk us through that, like that mantra again and maybe give yes. us an even example? Yes, yes, yes. I love that. Um, I want to say the mantra again because I love saying the mantra. Mm -hmm. Uh, The mantra is, is, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, let's start with thank you. Thank you is the awareness that everything that I'm stuck in is just an illusion and that I'm free. I'm divine creature. I'm conscious awareness. Thank you for that knowledge. Thank you for that awareness. Thank you for the the love that I have in my heart for me and the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please forgive me for any thought that I'm believing is real that keeps me stuck in stories that aren't in my best interest. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Thank you. Thank you. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I love you. I love you is the awareness that I am the divine. I am the creator. I am conscious awareness. I am love. And it when you profess love to yourself and you're able to um, feel that love, you know, a lot of times, you know, when people start Ho'oponopono often, they're, I love you. And they're, they're, we're so used to saying, I love you to something out there in the world that we're not aware of when we can reconnect with our innocence, our innocent, or even our wounded inner child, and, and profess love to that, how nurturing that is. You know, what I, I, I want to share something. Oh, I turned my phone off. But I, I, I have a, on my phone, I have a photograph of myself when I was five years old. And I've spent the last few years professing love to that child and all the stuff that he had to bear and all his, all the times when he was um, bullied and he was misunderstood. Uh, I'm here in my aware self nurturing that kid at every opportunity. Now you, you're thinking about, you know, time, you know, that was when I was a kid, but me today connecting with me at five years old feels good to me. It feels like it feels so natural at this point, but there was a time when it didn't feel natural. It felt very fake. I didn't understand what I was talking about when I said, I love you. Mm-hmm. But now I know I'm loving that part of me that's, you know, that, that still gets stuck in stuff sometimes and needs to be nurtured and and forgiven for bearing things that aren't even true and 
could never be true. I, I just think that is just the most beautiful thing. And that you said you're 65. 65? I'm 63. Don't make 63. me 65. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm off a couple years. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, and, and, but I mean, that's like close to 60 years. Um, and you're, and you're still, well, not still, but now just realizing the love for that child. Yes. It's, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 I had a therapist not very long ago. I've been kind of working with a therapist uh, about the whole uh, faith deconstruction and some of the things that I need to kind of process through. And uh, one of the things that we were talking about is, you know, she says, your five-year-old, she said, the inner five-year-old in you needs to hear this. She says, I think the 45-year-old you has heard this, but didn't understand it. Mm. But the five-year-old needed to hear that yes and it was interesting because she said it a second time and i actually heard it as the five-year-old me yeah and i and it was the first time i had really actually understood the difference because i felt something actually happened inside of me that resonated was that was like oh okay i can tell the difference between you telling me this is an adult and this to the child in me absolutely which was so So I am just so fascinated with your work. I think, um, honestly, like sometimes I think to myself about like how we um, draw people into our worlds and, um, and and I'm I'm so grateful to have connected with you I, I think you're I just like a just a phenomenal human being like I, <laughs> I and so I'm I'm just so glad that we had this this time to to chat I have like about a bazillion more questions for okay. you but um I want to kind of just you know bring this home and and I want so someone who's listening to this right now is maybe you know in in a place in their own lives where they're you know dealing with maybe woundedness or you know trying to to do something in their lives that feels really scary um and and there's a lot of negative negative thoughts and there's still the things that they're processing and they're not less far along in the journey yes how would you suggest that they start where is a good place for them to to kind of enter into the journey or to continue in the journey if they've already begun you know, I'm, I, I think that's an excellent question. And I, I, I've got to only look, I can only look at my experience. Mm-hmm. And my experience has been meditation. You know, meditation allowed me to learn how to quiet my mind. And once your mind, and once you learn the practice of quieting your mind, you're, it, it feels like your heart starts to open up. Because your mind, the mind chatter keeps you stuck in that thinking mode, that figuring it out, you know, what's wrong, how can I, what can I fix it? But when you are able to learn the process of quieting your mind, um, you can allow new point of views to to be expressed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm going to tell you a a very, very short story about the consequences of of mind change. You know, when most of my life I've spent explaining my childhood as being very painful and very, um, and my mother as very abusive. And I would tell people, I tell my children, 
about, you know, my childhood and how, you know, much pain I was in and how I had a mother that was insensitive. And, um, and as I have evolved and as I have healed myself, the story of my mother and my childhood looks completely different to me. Okay. So I'm a real believer that as you learn to love yourself and as you learn to be kind to yourself and as you learn to forgive yourself and let yourself off the hook for whatever transgressions you believe that you've had to bear, um, it changes your story. And if your stories change, your life changes. So now, you know, I feel very much that I had a wonderful mother and she had her point of view. She had her things she had to bear, but she taught me to be a very strong man and very clear in my, she taught me um, about introspection, understanding what I'm feeling. There was a lot of great lessons I had from the, just the mother I got. And I think that, you know, as we um, learn to quiet our minds and get out of our thinking minds, our hearts open up and we get a chance to see things a little differently. We get a chance to have, an, have a more holistic or more um, um, loving point of view. And that loving point of view is 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 it's, it's change, it changes everything. It changes your relationship, as I said, but not just with yourself, but it changes your relationship with everybody you are in contact with too. You, you just again said something that you know even this morning as I was doing my own quiet time and reflecting on something, and I was realizing there's a a, a generational thing that was happening, and an understanding when I can change the story. Mm. that and i will not only be able to release what has happened but i will be able to release myself from yes but you know what have you noticed how people are very addicted to their stories oh yes oh (laughs) my god i loved my story of being from an abusive mother Mm. i felt it was you know look at how how much i've accomplished and i was from an abusive mother and I told it regularly, and I told my children that regularly, and they, you know, they were like, oh, okay, they didn't have to understand what I was talking about because <laughs> they didn't, you know, they didn't see their grandmother that way. But um, but I love telling those stories, so they somehow um, uh, that that trauma charmed me, and it kept me stuck in this lower energy, this lower point of view. But to give up that story, you have to be courageous. To give up the story that you were, you know, that you were a victim, that you were abused, that you were, um, uh, that you had to struggle. To give up those stories, you have to be courageous. And and it takes you changing your relationship with yourself to be that kind of courageous. That's amazing. Well, I think we should close with that because that's a great point but i do have a few rapid fire questions yes that i'd love to ask you um and these are just you know whatever comes to your mind first but what is the most powerful lesson you've learned during covid wow um the most powerful lesson i've learned during covid that this is a period of reboot this is an opportunity right now for everybody to reboot to shut it down and to allow it to be reborn 
instead of this being a a period of you know uh, bearing it and having to hold on to it and get through it, but more it's an opportunity to 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 see things differently mm. and to let go of things that aren't and try things try new things and take new challenges and take new risks. I mean, it's a real opportunity to reboot things and to see and see yourself and the world differently. That's awesome. What book are you currently reading or have you just read? Oh my God, I read so much non-duality. I read an interesting book just recently called, I Think Therefore I Lie. Oh. <laughs> I Think Therefore I Lie. And it's an inquiry book. It's about how to deconstruct your thinking and to look at all of your thoughts and to, as you, we talked about early, you know, dismantle them, just, you know, you know, let them go, you know, tear them apart, break them apart. Right. And uh, this book was all about that. And I just love it. The, guy, the, the author was Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N. But uh, it's a really nice little book that talks about uh, the process of deconstructing our thinking. Now, what is your favorite quarantine activity? Music. Any particular, in... any particular type of music? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to find out all my little secrets. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> when I was a young man, I was into um, Diana Ross. Oh, I love her. I loved Diana. When I was a, a teenager, I used to listen to her, and there was something about her voice that was very, um, uh, hit me very much when I was a kid. So whenever I um, uh, feel like my heart is open and I want to feel connected, I listen to Diana Ross singing either the blues or um, just listening to her, her tone opens me up. And it's not just Diana Ross. There are other artists too, but she's the one that I usually get obsessed with. <laughs> oh yeah, no. And her my daughter. Wife, you should listen to Diana Ross. I'm like, <laughs> but she hey. opens my heart. No, that's great. And um, she's always singing about love. If you ever listen to Diana Ross songs, they're always about overcoming in order to go back to love, return to love. And I like that too. You know who one of my favorites is? Is Luther Vandross? Oh, I love. Oh, there's another voice. Okay. You, interesting. You bring up Luther Vandross. He's another voice that when you listen to, you're feeling his heart. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about music is that when you're listening to a voice and they're very much heartfelt voices, it opens you up too. Power of love, love power. Oh, yeah, my yeah. Favorite combination songs ever. I love it. Yeah, I, love I, it. I remember being a teenager driving around in my car with a cassette tape, <laughs> blasting that. Um, okay, and my last question for you is: What is the next brave step you need to take? Well, um, wow, the next brave step I need to take. Everything is about being brave to me. So I'm trying to think what the next step would be. I'm, 2021 is, is exciting to me because uh, it's an opportunity to me. To, I'm, I'm launching my book uh, in January. And with the launch of the book, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for new ways in order to share what I care about, which is self-empowerment. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm looking forward to, and I don't know what they are. I don't know what the ex exact arena is going to be or, the, or who the audience is going to be. But I do know that, I'm, that my book is going to be a, um, a uh, platform 
for me sharing more love and expressing more ways in order to develop a loving relationship with yourself. So I think that's what 2021 is going to be for me. And I'm looking forward to uh, discovering what that's going to look like. Cause I don't know either. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I'm, I'm a man who used to have an answer or try to think it through or try to figure out everything. I don't try to figure out anything anymore. <laughs> I'm just available. <laughs> I am. I'm available. I'm. I am learning that process myself. I'm not sure. I'm. Do, you know, getting an A plus. There is. No I a am plus. learning. That's just another anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's we're doing fine. <laughs> I am. You know what I am, and I think the more that I'm on this journey and unpacking all of this for me has been such a release and such and also a relief. Like just like oh, I don't have to carry this which has been such a uh, an amazing way to live which i didn't live so yeah, i I, I am so grateful to have had you on the show. You never know, maybe I'll ha- be able to have you again. I'd love um, that. I, I just have really enjoyed our conversation. I can't wait for um, everyone else to hear it. So thank you for being on The Courage Thank Cast. you. I can't say enough about this conversation. I literally, uh, as I was editing the podcast and listening back, I just thought to myself, there are so many takeaways that I could talk about in this conversation. One of the things that really stood out to me was avoid making thoughts about you. And it's something that over the past few days, as I've just been mulling over, I've really put into practice. And every time I have this thought that comes into my mind that I you know, think to myself, okay, I'm not sure if that's a truth or not. I really have to take a step back and go, you know what? A thought is just a thought. And I need to avoid making this thought about me because perhaps it just is a thought. And so often we just cling to thoughts that come into our minds. We create these narratives and stories around these thoughts and they become our reality. And that is the major obstacle that we all face when we're trying to take brave steps in our lives, when we're trying to do things that we feel are in our hearts to do. And it's the main reason why we won't actually take those steps if we continue to believe those thoughts, making them a reality. So I want to encourage you, maybe just take 24 hours and set aside that time to really be consciously aware of what thoughts are coming into your mind and then say to yourself, ask yourself, is this thought just a thought? Is it something that just came in and I need to grab onto or is it something that is is really a belief in my life? Because I believe there's probably some thoughts that you're having right now that you're gonna decide right away, I don't want these anymore. They are not what I truly, truly believe to be true about my life. Friend, I'm so grateful uh, that you've spent this time with us and so, so grateful to Edward for his knowledge and his wisdom. His book is going to be coming out at the end of this year, so make sure to pre-order it on Amazon. I will put the link in the show notes as well as all of his contact information so that you can connect with him, whether it's on social media or through his website. And I just am so, so thankful for this time and this opportunity to spend with you, my friend. Until next time, remember, you have everything you need to live bravely. 
If you like this episode of The Courage Gas, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review, and while you're there, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Original music and production by Stephen Crilly.